0: But while I'm uh, getting myself hooked up here, if you could open your Bibles to First uh, Peter, please. That's where we will be this morning. In First Peter, chapter one. So open up your devices or your Bible to First uh, Peter, chapter one. It's great to be with you again, even in this unusual fashion. It's certainly nice to be able to look out at an audience for once in several months now. I mean, I've been preaching just about every single week somewhere, but most of it has been by Zoom, which has been which has been unique and different. Um, a little bit of a challenge, but not so bad. It's been it's been doable. The nice thing about Zoom is you're finished. I mean, I'm wearing my shorts down there, and I'm wearing a nice shirt and tie up above, and I'm in my sandals and shorts down below, and after the meeting's done, I take my tie off, hang it on the rack, and walk into the kitchen and have something to eat. So <laughs> There has been advantages to to Zoom, uh, but certainly it cannot measure up to being actually with the saints and enjoying our time together with the saints. So we are in 1 Peter, please, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 3. Now this again is an extremely familiar passage to all of you seated seated out here this morning, but let's read it so it's refreshing our minds. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering to things which, they, which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, And rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through... Throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word this morning. And shall we pray together? Father, we are so very thankful that we can meet. We are so very thankful for your grace, for the goodness that you have shown to us, for your kindnesses that we see and experience day after day. Thank you for hope. Thank you for love. Thank you for all that you mean to us. Now as we approach your word again this morning, we pray that you would bless and encourage us and use it for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now some of you old-time hippies out there, might remember this song. Now, as I... eh, Let me see. As I uh, try to remember the the verse, I had it on here, but now it's gone. It was actually a song that came out in 1965. And in 1965, it was quite a revolutionary song because it came out during a time of protest. It came out at a time that was a, a turmoil tumultuous time for us in this country. And the second verse, of it was actually banned from being broadcast on the air. But the second verse of that went something like this, and you'll have to forgive my memory now since I don't have my little help. But it went something like this, the second verse of it, went like this. My blood's so hot, feels like it's coagulating. I'm sitting here, just contemplating Uh, there's a group of senators who aren't legislating and marches alone won't bring integration when men's hearts have no respect for human beings and you tell me Over and over and over again, my friend, my friend. You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. 1965, 55 years ago. Marches won't bring a solution. Marches won't bring integration. And we're in a world in which we become so frustrated... But I'll tell you one thing. We do not put our hope, do we, in presidents. We do not rest our hope in any form of government, regardless of how good it is. We don't place our hope in any country, no matter which country it be. For our citizenship is of heaven. Our hope is in him. We do not rest in hope of what this country can do, what a president can do, what legislation can do, because our hope is in a king. Not in a president. Not in a legislative branch of government. Our hope is in a king, the Lord Jesus Christ who will one day come and set it all straight we are proud to live in this country and we are blessed to live in this country and over the years we have certainly been blessed and we all swell with pride when we sing some of those patriotic songs that we all love so well but it's not my home it's not my permanent home I can remember when we were living in the Philippines for all those years, any time we passed by Juice Mag, a, a place for uh, the U.S. Embassy, and past the U.S. Embassy, or even sometimes up in, up in Baguio City where the, we still had U.S. bases at the time, and whenever we saw the American flag flying, it gave us a yearning for home. A yearning to be home. Oh, my brothers and sisters, Are your hearts yearning for home? When you're in this world and you see all that's going on in this world, it is easy to complain and it's easy to lash out and it's easy to say cruel words on Facebook. And it's easy to have a political agenda and purpose. But is your heart longing for home? You long to go home. We chose this portion in 1 Peter this morning because I have been doing a study over the course of the last several months probably six months or more now in how the New Testament makes use of the Old Testament. How the New Testament goes and takes verses and portions out of the Old Testament and then uses them as proof texts in order to prove a doctrine or prove a point that the writer is trying to make. I used, I used it throughout the book of Hebrews. We looked at, I looked at several portions in the book of Hebrews where we see these things happening, where he goes into the writer to the Hebrews, goes back into the Old Testament, draws portions from the Old Testament, and he doesn't take out verses willy-nilly. He doesn't just grab a verse out of here and throw it in the context of where he takes that verse from becomes extremely important to us as we seek to exegete the passage, as we seek to understand. Now, there is, there are, obviously, when you do this kind of study and when you do this kind of exercise, there are some exegetical difficulties and hurdles that you have to go through. You're dealing with several different translations of the text. You're dealing with a Septuagint. You're dealing with a a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now it comes over and you'll find that when you get into the New Testament, most of the New Testament writers will quote directly from, or at least allude to, the Septuagint, which is a translation from the Hebrew. Sometimes you'll even see the translation in the in the Greek from the he from the uh, Hebrew, and you'll go back to that portion in the Mesoretic text or into the Old Testament Hebrew text, and you won't even find it there, because the Greek text used a different portion, different manuscripts in order to translate, and so you go through all these exegetical loopholes, or through these hoops, if you will, and so. Hermeneutically, it is also difficult to now take those Old Testament passages in their context and see why it is that the New Testament writer chose those particular verses, chose that particular uh, portion, and then inserted it into the New Testament text as we see it today. So I've been going through and going back to the Old Testament. You know, as as the our Old Testament... Professors used to say and our New Testament professors used to say to us over and over again The most important thing in your study of the Word of God is context 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 find the context and you'll find the meaning and so that is what we're going to attempt to do over the course of these four weeks that we're together. We're going to be looking at the quotes that we find here. There are many allusions in First Peter to the Old Testament. And you have seen those just as we read through this morning. There are many allusions to the Old Testament that we find in First Peter. We're only, we only have time to concentrate on some of the direct quotes that are made by Peter as he uses the Old Testament in order to support his as proof text to support what he is teaching. Now, the very first one comes in verse 16. I'm going to read verse 15 because it flows into 16 and gives it some context. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, and here's the quote, be holy for i am holy now that quote comes out of leviticus now if you want to turn to leviticus we're going to go to leviticus 19 actually that phrase is used several times i believe four times in the in the book of you scholars can correct me if i'm wrong but in the in the book of leviticus that quote is used four times in different little contexts each time it's used it's somewhat different each time it's used but Peter, when he quotes, quotes directly out of Leviticus 19, verse 2. Now, he's quoting in the Septuagint, so he's quoting out of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but he's quoting out of Leviticus 19 and verse 2. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. And it says this. I had it, but then the wind blew it because I think this is also found, this quote is found in chapter 14, it's found in chapter 20 a couple of times, and it's also found here. And he says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now what is the context that we find here? What is the context from which he is, is preaching? What's the context of Leviticus 19? Now we recognize, and all of us are aware of... My wife keeps waving me back this way. We all are aware of of the book of Leviticus. And if you have read through the Word of God in any kind of chronological order, which many of you have... And it's a good way to read the Scripture, not only in the way it's presented in the the Bibles that are before us, but also to go back and read it chronologically. You will find, as you read it through chronologically, that God and I think all of us would agree with this, God reveals himself little by little by little. It's what we call progressive revelation. He's revealing himself to mankind a little bit at a time. And as he's building these things, as he's building this doctrine, he's showing to us in the Old Testament scripture who he is, what he is like, what his character is like what he demands, what he expects, and he goes all the way through. Now, when we get to the book of Leviticus, we recognize that God had given Moses the law. And in that law, in the first chapters of Leviticus, we see the sacrificial system that he laid down. We see all the different sacrifices that the people of Israel were to offer. And most of us would be familiar with that in our preaching, brethren. We'll go into that and, and moralize it. To death, And we'll, we'll understand the, the meaning and understanding of those portions in, in the sacrifices. And then in the latter portions of, of Leviticus, you'll also see the mention of the feast days, which are also beautiful uh, descriptions and depictions of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see it in the, in the sacrifices, the uh, pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ as well in the feast days that are also presented to us in Leviticus. Then you have that portion that deals with the blessings and the curses. Do this and you'll be blessed. Do this and you'll be cursed. And this is the instruction that the Lord is giving to His people before they enter into the land. As you're going into the land, this is what you are to do. This is how you're to behave. This is how you are to be different from all the nations that surround you. I am the Lord your God. You are to stand up and you are to be different from all the nations around you, he tells the people of Israel. You are to be unique. You are to be different. You are my peculiar people. You are my special people. You are to be unique. Now when we get to chapter 19, we see a whole list of instructions to all the people of Israel. Not simply to the priests, but to the congregation as a whole. And as he gives these instructions, he begins to reveal to them their own character and what his character is like. And you'll, re- you'll notice as you go through chapter 19 of Leviticus that he will oftentimes be referring to the Decalogue. He will be referring to the Ten Commandments, using a little bit different language sometimes to express it. But look at what he says. He says in verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his father and mother. Honor your father and mother. For this is the first command with promise. Remember? Honor your father and mother. How much we need that in our culture today. How much we need that simple commandment of the word of God in the generation in which we live. Honor your father and mother. Give your father and mother the respect that they are due. But and we don't have time to go into all of these details because I know my time is going to get away from me way too quick. But then he goes on, he looks about, don't, do not turn to idols. He knows what we're like. He knows the character of men and women. He knows how easy it is for us to begin to idolize things in this world, idolize things in this life, so that they take precedence over the things of God. We don't worship graven images, but we do worship things. We do worship things. We might not use that terminology, but look at what you give your time to. What is the most biggest priority in your life? We are here living life, enjoying life, enjoying living with the Lord Jesus throughout our life. But there are those things that come in which sometimes distract us from that goal of living. Do not have those idols. Do not have those things. He also knows our selfish hearts. So he tells them in Leviticus, you know that when you harvest your fields, and none of us are farmers here, I don't think. Maybe there are one or two of you who used to farm. But he says when you harvest your field, don't harvest the whole thing. Leave some for the poor to come in and harvest. And what is he saying? The principle is don't hoard everything for yourself when you know there are those around you in need. When there are the poor among you, don't hoard it all for yourself. He says the same about the vineyard. Leave some grapes for the poor to come through and glean. Don't ask him for payment. Just let him come. He knows the bent of our selfish hearts. He knows the bent of our selfish hearts. We want to keep everything for ourselves. In case... In 20 or 30 years, we might need it. And in 20 or 30 years, we may be in glory. So he goes on and on. Talk, he tells them not to steal. And these principles come over into the New Testament, don't they? You shall have no other one before me. You shall not lie or bear false witness, he says here. Don't lie, don't be a liar. To get your way. Don't lie in your business practices. Don't deceive in your business practices. Have honest scales. So he would teach them. There's one one here that I really like. A great deal. It's verse 32. And verse 32 says this. You shall rise before the gray-headed... And honor the presence of an old man. And fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, I say that in jest because of my gray hair. But I also say it as a principle. In the society and the culture in which we live today, there is a lack of respect for the elderly. There's a lack of respect for those who are older. Come up to one, knock them down and steal their purse when they're 80 years old. It doesn't permeate our culture, thank God. But there is certainly a lack of respect. Respect that was once there, that honored father and mother, even to their old age. And as the Lord would say in Isaiah, even to old age, He will carry us. He will be with us even through our times of old age. So he's laying down before them here, and we don't have time to go into all of the details concerning it, but he's laying down before them here the means or the way in which the the Old Testament saints were to live. The Old Testament believers, the Old Testament or the Israelites, as they went into the land, this is the way you are to behave. This is the way you are to order your life. Be holy. Be set apart unto me. Now, you'll notice that that's kind of a reciprocal statement, isn't it? It's not really a command, although it depends on the translation that you look in. It's kind of a reciprocal thing. Because I am God, therefore be holy. Because I am holy, you be holy. Now, now we must go back to 1 Peter. And now we understand briefly, and not in any kind of depth for sure, but briefly we understand the context from which he draws this quote. And we need to go back now to look at what we, and this will, this will bring in the idea why I even uh, tried to uh, quote that song earlier. Now we go back into the context of 1 Peter. Why has he now drawn this out? Why has he quoted it from Leviticus 19? He begins by saying, He has begotten us again to a living hope. He has begotten us again to a living hope. You know, you can make children. God can create children. But only a mother and a father can beget a child. And by begetting, it has a unique Uh, unique representation, I suppose. Begetting means that they carry on your DNA. They carry on your genes. They will sometimes carry on some characteristics, whether it be facial characteristics, whether it be color of your eyes, whether it be the way in which you live, your lifestyle, even some of the things that you say, they will learn. They are begotten of you. Their DNA comes from you. And whenever you see them, they are a part of you. All of my daughters have a part of me and a part of Joyce in them. We have been begotten again. We have new life now in Christ. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. We have been born again. We have been begotten again. And that terminology gives us this idea that we should be bearing in us the DNA, if you will, of our Father who begot us. Our God who begot us. Again, to a living hope. We should be bearing the characteristics of the God who gave us new birth. He has begotten us again. And it's to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Since He rose up from the dead, we know that we too shall rise one day. If we should go into the ground dead, one day the body will come out of the ground alive. And as He died and rose again from the dead, if we die, we will also rise from the dead. And we have a hope that it was within us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have a hope. We have a longing. We have a hope to be with the Lord that we love. You'll notice a trend as we work through this. You'll notice a trend. That trend is what is to be, what is to come. In Leviticus 19 is when you enter the land. This is the way you interact when you enter the land. Here, we have not yet entered the land. We have not yet seen glory we have not yet seen what is being prepared for us we are still in this world still moving along sometimes we're treading water but we're going home they did not see the land some of the patriarchs uh, Hebrews would tell us they did not see it but they believed it was there They knew it was there, even though they had not seen it with their eyes. They knew and were convinced that it was there. Why? Because God said so. Because God said so. And we have a hope. Because God said so. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. But we're not there yet. We have been given a new life in Christ. We have been begotten again. We've been given inheritance. But it's in heaven. It's reserved for you. Who are kept by the power of God. We have our inheritance is secured by God. And you as an individual who have placed your faith in Christ are secured by God. And nothing can take it from you. No sin that you can commit can take it from you. You're His. You're guarded by God. Garrisoned. You're kept by the power of God. And as far as I know, there's no greater power in all the universe. There's no greater power anywhere than the power of God. And you're kept by that power. You're not going to lose it. It's not going to go away. He's going to keep you. Through faith... For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. See the trend again? It's a salvation that's ready to be revealed. It has not yet been revealed, but it will be revealed. Now, we have a salvation that we possess now that is revealed to us. And we have come to know him. And we have a relationship with Him. And we walk with Him day by day. And we we love Him and, and have a relationship that is close and intimate with the Savior. But there's a salvation that is coming that will yet be revealed. Faith revealed. Faith given sight. Faith seeing and handling and touching. Faith that will give way to sight. It is coming. For you and I who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. In this you greatly rejoice. You rejoice in the fact that you have a sure salvation. You rejoice in the fact that this isn't all there is. There's life beyond this with him forever. Your faith will be revealed. And in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I suppose there's a lot we could say right there. Greed by various trials. All of us have experienced grievous trials from time to time in our lives. Some worse than others. Some harder than others. But it's only for a little while. And He who is coming will come. He who is coming will come. Even though our faith is being tested as by fire. It will be found to praise and honor at the glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The time of His coming again. Speaking of a forward look. Looking ahead to what is coming. Even the prophets looked ahead when they wrote of the suffering that would come to Christ and the glories that would follow. They were looking ahead. And Peter is saying, as he's writing to these dear saints. Keep your eye on the ball. Look ahead. Look ahead. Look ahead. You have a future. And because that is true. Gird up the loins of your mind. Because it is true. Do what is right. Because it is true. That he is coming. And he's coming again. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ that day when he is revealed and we shall behold him as a forward look we live in a world that is destroying itself we live in a world of destruction And for 55 years since the time of that song, it hasn't gotten any better. In fact, it's gotten worse. But when we see things getting worse, we lift up our eyes unto the hills from whence comes your help. Our help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we're waiting for the time of his coming. And because you have the DNA, And our time is gone. Because you have the DNA of your Father who begot you. Because He is the one who has given you the life that you have and the life that you possess. Be like your Father. Live like your Father. Act like your Father. Be like Him. We're going to have to pick this up again next week because to stop it there... Doesn't do it justice. We'll pick it up again next week and we'll look at this quote once again. I'll try not to do much review. I'm always criticized for doing a half hour worth of view and 10 minutes worth of new material, but we're going to try not to do that next week and just kind of move ahead as the Lord opens the way. Be holy because your Father is. Carry his characteristics to this lost world. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for our Lord Jesus Christ your only begotten Son, who carried into this world all your DNA, as it were, all of who you were and are. And he brought it into this world so that we could see it and know that he was indeed the very Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh. Help us to live our lives in light of his coming again. Help us to live our lives knowing that one day he will come again and we shall see him and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Bless your word to the hearts of your people. For your sake, amen.